So we've had a really good term, and I want to take a moment to look ahead and tell you we've kind of celebrated many people who are here on our own faculty and staff this term, and we're coming today to a close this term with Glenn Lowen, who we are most fortunate to have on our team, and I think you all appreciate that, and I want you to know I do too, my good friend Glenn. We turn the corner into term two this year for a hit parade of speakers that I just don't want you to miss out because God has provided a, an amazing list of people who are coming to campus to speak. So just quickly, we've got Global Leadership uh, Summit this Thursday, Friday. That's interesting. The first uh, of the new term, we've got Dr. S uh, Scott Hemingway. I don't think he's Dr. Scott Hemingway. He's one of our um, uh, board members and a pastor speaking, followed by Dr. James Houston from Regent, followed the same week, not in Tuesday Chapel, but Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, by Dr. Christopher Yeoen from Moody. So it's Regent and Moody on our campus in one week. The next week, we've got a very interesting week with Kevin and Julia Garrett, who were held as prisoners, uh, Kevin was, for many months, I can't remember how long, in, in, China, in northern China. Uh, and that's, we're going to hear that story on Tuesday, and then we're going to roll from that into our day of prayer in the middle of November. And then following that, we've got Ralph Corner from Taylor and Michael Pawalki from Briarcrest. We've got a really great list of, of seminaries that are all coming here to campus in November. But I'm actually really looking forward to the last chapel of the next term, which is going to be led by uh, Dr. Mark Jonah, and it will be uh, focused on Mary's Prayer of the Magnificat. Let me pray for our speaker this morning and my good friend as you wander on up here, Glenn. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Glenn. We thank you for the work you've done in him, we thank you for the work you do through him. We thank you for the amazing spirit you've given him of love for you and love for each of us. Bless him now so that he can be a blessing to each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mark. I encourage you to turn in your Bible and keep your finger in Luke chapter 22. We're in the house of prayer for this semester. And uh, as I thought about that in my own experience, I find that often my prayer life is like grocery shopping. I have a grocery list of wants, and I inform God about them, and uh, then I expect God to do His God thing and deliver my groceries. Well, uh, that may seem okay at one level at least, because I'm full of needs and God loves to give His kids gifts. and. So at one level, that's probably okay, but I find in my own life that there's something that seems a lot more sinister going on frequently, in which uh, my grocery list re really represents that I really want God to do what I want Him to do. And I think it's often another version of the prayer, my kingdom come, my will be done. Genuine prayer is not about us twisting God's arm so that He's willing to deliver our grocery list. Prayer is about God changing me so that I love and desire to do His will on earth as it is being done in heaven. 
And so this morning, we're going to go to Gethsemane, and we're invited into the intimacy of the prayer of Jesus during his last hours on earth. So we're going to begin reading at verse 39, chapter 22, Luke. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may enter, sorry, that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. So far the reading this morning. Jesus' request is, is obvious, and we read, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. That request is loaded with just a, a whole bunch of intensity and emotional oomph. Uh, uh, we find it, for instance, in the Matthew version that it says he, he is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Because he's agonizing, he actually falls to the ground and his agony is such that an angel from heaven appears to him and strengthens him. And in Luke, we read that his sweat is like great drops of blood. He repeats the prayer three times over a span of three hours. What I'm saying, or what I think the biblical account is very purposefully doing, is demonstrating to us that this is a very serious and deep and significant appeal of the Lord Jesus to his Father. Father, if you would, please remove the cup from me. Now what's significant to me, or it seems to me as well in the biblical passage, is that as much as Jesus would love the cup to be removed, his deeper desire is that the Father's will would be done. And so he, conclude, he concludes his prayer, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I, I believe that it is this prayer in the garden that the writer to the Hebrews comments on in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. And there it is. So, let's try this. Why don't we all read it together? Yeah, you're going to work with me? In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And you'll notice there I've put in the NIV, if you have that, it, reverence is translated reverence submission. In the New English Bible, it's translated humble submission. And again, what we see is that as much as Jesus lists what his want is, that the cup would be removed, his deepest desire is that the Father's will 
would be done. Jesus' humility, his humble submission, did not begin in the garden. We see it evidenced there in this passage, but before, uh, much before this, in places like John chapter 4, in places like John chapter 6, we see again and again, the Lord Jesus tells us that it is His concern that He would be able to do the will of the One who sent Him, the will of the Father. And so we see that it's not only His posture of prayer, but it's His posture of life, that He would live in humble submission to the Father. This humble submission is exactly or precisely the posture that we are called to pray in. For Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10 that we are to pray in this way and included in this way is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to suggest this morning that it is not only our posture for prayer, but it also for us, as it was for the Lord Jesus, is our posture for life. Well, before I go further this morning, I want to try and picture for you what I think the Bible is talking about when it talks about humble submission. And uh, this is just my picture. It may not work for you, but it is the picture that I think about when I think about humble submission. My wife and I were having kids in the 19... I know this is ancient history for you guys, but it was in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Our son was born in 91. He's our baby, and uh, he was born here in Three Hills. You didn't need to know that, and it was not part of the illustration. But uh, when we were having little ones, of course, you need a high chair. And uh, we bought at the time, the Cadillac model of high chairs, which was Fisher-Price. And this one here, it's not exactly the same color, but it is exactly like our high chair. This is the Cadillac model. And the reason that it was the Cadillac model at the time was really two things. Number one, it had a table that wasn't solid. You could actually push it back and forth, right? And so when you put your toddler in there, you could shove that little table right up to its little belly. That was very cool. I'll tell you why in a minute. And not only that, we had uh, Fisher Price had designed it so that there was a little belt, and you could it went around, you know, quite around, just like a, you were climbing a mountain, and you could just cinch that thing right up, and you just like as a parent, you just James is laughing back there because he knows exactly where I'm going on this, and. Here's the thing. Despite the ingenuity of Fisher-Price, often it was our daughter's commitment that her destiny was not to sit in the Cadillac model Fisher-Price chair. And she would wiggle and she would squirm until finally she was standing on the seat of the Fisher-Price chair. And, uh, you know, she, she couldn't say it at this time, but she was thinking in her mind, I am the queen of... Fisher-Price. And I am the queen of my parents. And I am the queen of the universe. 
We all have in us a toddler who wants to be either the king or the queen of the universe. And we just come hardwired naturally to want to do that. And our, our uh, kind of the proclamation of our life is, I'll do it my way. And submission, again, this is my picture, but submission is the, surrender, the inside surrender that says, I am now going to let go of being the boss, of being the commander of my universe, and I am going to say yes to God in, an, in a way in which there is no escape clause. And that is the posture of prayer. It is the posture of life that I believe the passage is calling us to in our lives again today. Let me talk about from uh, Luke chapter 22, three aspects of that kind of submission, and then I want to uh, bring that to a conclusion. The first aspect is that that submission in our lives is a costly submission. You will notice that Jesus says, I want to be delivered. Father, if it's your will, I'd like to be delivered from the cup. Now, what does that mean? Well, there would be a number of passages that we could go to, but I've chosen the one in Isaiah chapter 51. Could we just put that passage up? There we go. So we're going to read that again. Uh, let's do it together. We did very well last time. Let's try again. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. It's very clear here that when Jesus is asking to be delivered from the cup, that he's not talking about a literal cup that you're drinking from right now. Uh, he is talking about the cup that we see in Isaiah chapter 51 and other passages in the Old Testament. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, He, that is referring to God, made him, referring to Jesus, sin. God made Jesus sin. What does that mean? It means that on Jesus was placed all of the sin of humanity. And for that, as Jesus faced, as, as he was in the garden, he not only faced the terrible cruelty of humanity that would mutilate him and crucify him on a cross, it was much more acute than that. What he faced is the wrath of God that was focused on, that was judging the sin of humanity. So much so that we see on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, there's the cup of wrath that Jesus is asking to be delivered from. What I'm saying this morning is that, is that for Jesus, submission to say, Thy will be done, was incredibly costly. 
It cost him everything. And here's the news to us. Submission will not cost you something. Submission will cost you everything. And by the way, there's no tilly for bargain prices on submission. On January 8, 1956, five young missionaries were found in Ecuador. Their bodies were riddled full of arrows, shot by the very people that they had gone to reach with the gospel. There was an outcry that the cost was too great. It wasn't worth it for these young men to bring the gospel to people who did not want it or them. But one of those young men, one of those missionaries who was killed, had written in his diary before he left for Ecuador the now famous words, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. For Jim Elliott, was the cost worth it? Certainly, in his perspective, absolutely unreserved, yes. Number two, in terms of submission, it's a submission to sovereignty. Sovereignty, uh, I'll let Bill Nyman and Ray Yo uh, explain that to you in theology class. But I just want to say one thing, or basically one thing about it. It is the reality that God has a purpose and a plan. And our God is infinitely good and only good, and so His plan is good. Our God is infinitely wise, and so His plan is right. And our God is infinitely strong, so that He will accomplish His purpose and His plan, and there will be no one, and there is nothing that is going to stop Him. You know, I find that many people refuse to submit to a God who is sovereign because they think possibly that He is a cosmic killjoy. Or they think that maybe He's uh, not smart enough. He, he's going to mismanage them. Or sometimes they think He's too restrictive and He's going to cramp their style. It seems to me that it is exactly because God is sovereign that He is worthy of our submission. To say thy will be done is to trust in a God whose thoughts are higher than ours and whose ways are greater than ours. It is a confidence that God and his purpose are right even when we cannot see in the darkest places of our lives. Submission to sovereignty is finding an anchor for our soul that is sure and steadfast when everything in life falls apart. You know the cool thing about that? Is we can stop trying to control and manipulate our own universe. And we can stop our frenzied, self-engineered strategies to make sure life goes according to our plan and all the frantic worry that goes along with that. Several years ago, one of my friends who had invested her career in Christian education had the unwelcomed intruder of cancer enter her life. And I want to read for you just a small excerpt of an email that she sent to us during that very deep experience in her, um, in her life. Quote, The report from the pathologist showed that the surgery was not sufficient to treat the cancer. And I am now scheduled to have a total mastectomy and ancillary dissection. 
Naturally, I have been frustrated to have my life interrupted in this radical way. However, and underline, I recognize God's sovereignty in this journey. He has given me peace and is teaching me to know Him deeper and love Him more. I am convinced that many of the trials we walk through in this life will only assume real meaning and make sense when we see them from eternity's shore, end of quote. An anonymous writer penned these words, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, where the arms of God cannot support you, where the riches of God cannot supply your needs, where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the Spirit of God cannot work through you, where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the army of God cannot protect you, where the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God cannot enfold you, where the mercies of God cannot calm you, where the peace of God cannot calm your fears, and where the authority of God cannot overrule you. The will of God will never take you where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears, where the word of God cannot feed you, where the miracles of God cannot be done for you, and where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. And finally, this morning, one more aspect of God's will that I want to talk about, or one more aspect of submission to His will, and that is, it is a submission to love. In the, in G, in the garden, we see that Jesus addresses the Father as you know what? As, yeah, as Abba. Abba is the language of a family. It's the language of intimacy. It is the language of love. In fact, Aramaeus states that there is not a single example of the use of the word Abba in addressing God in all of Jewish literature. All of Jewish literature. He says there's not one single example of it. But in the garden, in the deepest aspect of Jesus' life, the way that he addresses the Father is with the language of family, with the language of love, with the language of Abba. Amazingly, and I mean this, amazingly, when we are taught to pray, the way that we are taught to pray is Abba. It is love that makes Christian submission more than compliance and more than obedience. You know, a soldier will submit to his commanding officer because of rank and power and authority. But Christian submission isn't simply or only submitting to a God who has greater power and authority than we have. Christian submission is casting ourselves in the arms of a loving Father. You see, when someone genuinely loves you, it invites, it invites submission. An example, uh, for example, a child will catapult herself from the incredible heights into her parents' arms. Why? That's a stupid thing to do. You know, rationally, you don't do that. But the child has learned that the parent only has their good in mind. And so if they can jump off the banister into dad or mom's arms, absolutely. 
no problem submitting to that. It is God's infinite, unfathomable, unending, and unearned love that invites us to catapult at the deepest level of our soul into his everlasting, loving arms. And what I want to say this morning, at least one thing I want to say, is that prayer isn't, a grocery, isn't just merely a grocery list partnership. It is a love relationship with the Father. It is the fellowship in which we learn to love Him, and because we learn to love Him, we learn to love what He loves. It is in prayer that we learn to desire the costly, sovereign, and the loving will of God. So let me bring this to a conclusion this morning. In the garden, Jesus not only showed us how to pray, He showed us how to live. Humble submission is the calling to our soul. The founder of Prairie, who was Ellie Maxwell, at least he was one of the founders along with J. Fergus Kirk. One of the things that he's noted to have said and wrote is this, the greatest mission is submission. And thousands of Prairie students have responded to that exact call. This morning when you came into the auditorium, at least most of you will have received a little piece of paper. And I just want to invite you to take a look at that. Because um, I think when George Murray showed me this illustration, it's a, it's a wonderful illustration of correct and false notions of what it means to submit. On one side of the piece of paper, what you'll see is at the top it says, My Plan. On that paper, you can carefully write, you know, who do I want as my spouse, and what occupation do I want, and what lifestyle do I want to live out, what's my economic level, and so on and so forth. And we, you know, carefully plan that out and write that out. But of course, we want God's blessing, right? We want God's approval, so at the bottom of the paper, there's a place where we can give it to God and ask Him for His signature so that He can approve my plan, that He can bless my will, and He can do what I want. Well, obviously, that's a false view of submission. The kind of submission that we're talking about this morning is the other side of the page, on that side of the page, you won't see a whole lot. In fact, it's a blank page. Except at the bottom, there's not a place for God's approval and for God's signature, but at the bottom, there's a place for me to write my signature. Because in a very real sense, submission is exactly that. It's writing my name at the bottom and then giving it to God as a blank sheet, as a blank check, as it were, for Him to write out His plan for him to write out what his will is so that he can do his will on earth as it is, as is, is it, okay, you know what I'm saying. I won't finish. You may want to sign that as a symbol of your own soul submission to him as his calling in your life and put that in your Bible as a reminder. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that.
that you will give us today in our lives the ability to let go of our pity, selfish schemes and plans. Help us and assist us to follow our Lord Jesus into humble submission to your costly, sovereign, and loving will. And we pray this today in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom we love. Amen.